Good evening, everyone. What a great joy it is to come and end off the Lord's Day together uh, with God's people and to sing such beautiful songs to our beautiful God. I uh, thank you, Matt, and the team for leading us so ably this evening. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to Psalm 119, and we're looking at verse 1 all the way to the end of the chapter. I'm just kidding. Just verse 9 to verse 16. Uh, carrying on for the, on the theme that we looked at this morning and we're looking this evening at one of the essentials, the basics, if you will, of our walk with God, particularly the, the centrality of God's Word. So if you have your Bibles, read with me, verse 9 to 16. This is God's Word. Let's hear it together. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Only so far in the reading of God's word, may you reform our lives to its truth. I know we've prayed, but let's pray again and ask the Lord to help us as we consider these words. Heavenly Father, we do ask you that you would turn to us and be gracious to us, for such is your way with those who love your name. Dear Lord, I thank you for this week. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the reminder again of our great need for you. Thank you, dear Lord, that we are reminded again that we face a fierce foe in our flesh, in this world, in the devil that we have this great threat of sin. But we thank you, dear Lord, that you speak into our need, that you provide us with everything we need for our full and final salvation. And we would ask, dear Lord, that as we come to your word, as we traverse basics, in a sense, as we look at all that is required of us, we pray that you would help us to lean upon you, to trust in you, to know that even in these words that we have read, it's you speaking to us, so that we would be fully equipped for every good work in righteousness. We pray this all in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, toward the close of the Second World War, uh, the Allied forces were busy mopping up the last bit of Nazi resistance. And one particular unit was assigned a crucial and unique uh, task in Berlin. Uh, what was interesting about this particular mission was that each soldier in this unit had to memorize a detail of Berlin's map and various military sites within the city. And guess what? They had one night to memorize this map. 
However, just in one night, each soldier in this unit managed to, to commit the entire map to memory, and the result was that the mission proved to be a success. Now, now, several years later, uh, the U.S. Army conducted experiments to see if they could replicate this incident. Uh, unfortunately, they couldn't replicate. They couldn't find the same success as at the first time in Berlin. Now, now the question to ask is, what made the difference? Why did that first group succeed and not the second? Well, the answer has to be this. The lives of the men in the first group were at stake, whereas the lives of the men in the second group weren't. You see, the men in the first group knew that they were in a war, and if they did not memorize that map, they knew the result would be the loss of life. Well, dear friends, beloved of God, we need to know that we too find ourselves in a spiritual war. And that our very lives are at stake in this war. And what threatens our life? What threatens your life? Well, it's that threat of sin. It's that cancer that robs your life of joy and strength and life. That's what Psalm 131 says. Sin will keep you from God and not just keep God from you, but His goodness from you, Jeremiah 5.25. Ultimately, sin will lead to and produce death in your life. Ezekiel 18, verse 4. Realize we cannot take sin lightly. And therefore, given the danger and the threat of sin, one of the most important questions you have to ask is this. How can you keep your life pure from sin? Isn't that the question of our text? Verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? In other words, how can you, whether you're old or young really, how can you keep your life pure and undefiled from sin? How can you overcome the sin that lies waiting for you? You realize this is one of the most important questions of life because there's no greater threat to life, your life, than sin. And praise be to God because he answers that question in the very next verse. How can a young man keep his way pure? Verse 9, the end of it. By guarding it according to your word. I realize just as the lives of those soldiers in Berlin depended upon knowing the map, so too, dear Christian, know this, your life depends on knowing the Word of God. If you want to enjoy a holy, good, and joyful life, if you want to avoid the sin that will rob all of those things from you, then your life needs to be guarded and secured and ruled by God's Word. Clinton pointed out this morning that it's the Spirit who, who does this work, is it not? It's the Spirit who, who does the work of sanctification, and there's two parts to that. It's the Spirit who enables this mortification, this killing of sin. And it's the Spirit who, who enables the opposite of that, the vivification, as the Puritans say, the, the enlivening of grace in your heart. 
See, it's the Spirit that does this work, and the primary tool that He uses is the Word that He inspires. Why do you think the Word is called the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians 6.17? It's the Word that's the sword that vanquishes and kills sin in your life. It's the Word as the sword of God, the Spirit, that guards and protects the believer. And so realize, dear Christian, your life, your holiness, your joy depends on being guarded and secured and ruled by the Word of God. Listen to this quote by George Mueller. Let this quote be a challenge for you this evening. May it cause you to reflect on your own spiritual life. He said this, The vigor of our spiritual life will be in exact proportion to the place held by the Bible in our life and thoughts. Think about what's the state of your spiritual life this evening. Do you enjoy a vigorous, lively, fruitful, holy, joyful life? And if not, why not? George Muller would say it's because of the Bible that ought to be preeminent in our lives. And so the question I want us to spend more time on this evening is this, how exactly do we keep our way according to God's Word? How exactly do we guard our lives from sin with the Word? Well, that's where the rest of our passage comes in. Verse 10 to 16, we are given certain clues of how we guard our lives with the Word. There are five ways we guard, the, we guard our way with the Word. The first is this. We must seek the Word. We must seek the Word. Look at verse 10. With my whole heart, I seek you. Oh, what a noble desire, right? The psalmist longs for and seeks after God. But, but tell me, where does he go to find God? Look at the next clause. Let me not wander from your commandments. Did you hear that? The, the place to find God, to know Him and to hear from Him is His commandments, His law, His word. Which implies, doesn't it, if you neglect the word, you neglect the God of the word. I realize this idea of Bible reading is actually a quite intense theological matter. How we approach the Word speaks volumes of how we approach God and think of God. To, to wander from His Word is ultimately to wander from Him. Just look at the nature of the seeking of the God. It's done with the whole heart, which speaks of a sincere, careful, diligent seeking of the Word. This is not a half-hearted, try-when-I-can approach to and reading of God's Word. No, it's a holistic pursuit. It's a life-orientated toward. It's a deliberate directing of your will to seek God. You know that a train only goes in the directions of its tracks, Right? Well, the direction of your will sets the direction of your life. The objectives that you set for yourself set the direction of your life. 
And the challenge really for us is this, how high does the word rank in the objectives of our lives? I wonder if we had to examine ourselves, if I even examine myself, would time in the Word rank a higher priority than time spent on social media and gym, sorry some guys, books or TV or lounging about? I suppose the question I'm getting at is this, are we in the Word because we know that's where God is known? Or are we laying down tracks, habits, as it were, where we are in the Word so that we can know God and enjoy Him? Could it perhaps be the fact that we have a low view of Scripture in our lives because perhaps we have a low view of God in our lives? See, if we read... Here, if we see what is being said here, is that reading Scripture is a theological matter. If we just read a verse here and maybe a chapter there, should it surprise us then that we aren't actually growing in our knowledge of God? Should it not surprise us then that it's not a surprise that we're not really growing in our holiness and purity before God? See, in context, verse 10 is telling us that the surest way to keep your life pure and free from sin is by living a life that seeks God and seeks Him in His Word, in His commandments, in His precepts. Do you remember the example of the blessed man in Psalm 1? Verse 1 and 2, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The, the difference between the blessed man and the wicked is the fact that the blessed man sets his will to seek God. Day or night, he wholeheartedly pursues God in his word, in his law. And the result is purity of life because he's not like the wicked and blessedness. And so the question for us, the challenge is for us, are we seeking God in his word as a priority in our lives? as a defining objective of our will, to see this God and to know Him in His Word. Now, Psalm 1 helps to lead us to the next way in which we guard our lives by the Word. And not only must we seek God's Word, but we must store the Word. You must store the Word. Look at verse 11. I've stored up your Word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. There's a verse to memorize. I, I like what one author said of this verse. He said, Here is the best thing, thy word, hidden in the best place, my heart, for the best purpose, that I might not sin against thee. And realize what this important verse is telling us is that one of the chief ways of not only being kept from sin, but keeping our ways pure is by having God's Word in our hearts. Remember God's commandment to Joshua, Joshua 1 verse 8, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate, it, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all 
that it is written. In it, for then you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success. Or, or recall Proverbs 3, 21 to 23. My son, do not lose sight of these things. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. And there will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk in your ways securely and your foot will not stumble. In context, you will not stumble in sin and unrighteousness. Now, how does that happen? It happens by storing God's Word in your heart. And how do we store God's Word in our heart? By meditating upon it, by memorizing it, by being, having it in front of us at all times. We've already considered the example of the blessed man Psalm in Psalm 1, who meditates day and night. But look at the example of Mary, the mother of Jesus, Luke 9, or 2, 19. After the revelation of, of the glory of her son Jesus, Luke tells us that she, she treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. That, that's how we store it up. We, we treasure God's word. We, we ponder over it. We, we think over it. We regurgitate it. We dwell upon it. And if we follow the example of Mary, if we store God's word in our hearts, verse 10 tells us, we will be kept from sin. Now, how exactly does that work? Listen to Spurgeon on this. God's word is the best preventative, he says, against offending God, for it tells us his mind and will, and it tends to bring our spirit into conformity to his divine spirit. No cure for sin in one's life is equal to the word in the seat of life, which is the heart. When the word is hidden in the heart, the life will be hidden from sin. Uh, perhaps we can think of it this way. Uh, it's good practice to save up money for a rainy day, right? Uh, you know that life is filled with unexpected surprises, car troubles, medical expenses, etc. And so to save uh, is wise so that when the pauper hits the fan, there is a way out. All the same applies here. When, when, when the spiritual pauper hits the spiritual fan, if that makes any sense, when sin comes and, and tries to entice, if you've stored up God's Word, it provides resources to cope, to survive, to, to overcome. See, Dwight Moody was right. Sin will keep you from the Bible, or the Bible will keep you from sin. He realized the only way for the Bible to do this, for it to have this effect in our lives, is if it's been stored in our hearts. If it's been something we've, we've dwelled on and delighted in and meditated over. And so the question for us, again, is this. Is God's Word embedded in your heart? It's, it's not enough to know Scriptures, to, to have Scriptures in your head, they must ferment the heart. They, they must fill the heart, and then, and then only by God's grace do they shape our thinking and our reactions, our feelings. See, store up God's Word in your heart that you would not give in to sin, that you would not fall into the impurities of the flesh. 
Another question perhaps we need to ask is, besides memorizing or, or meditating on the Word, how else can we store God's Word in our heart? Well, that question leads me to the next way we guard our heart by God's Word, and that is this, we need to study the Word. We need to study the Word. Look at verse 12. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Another way to keep our way is to give ourselves to the study of God's Word, to reflect upon, to grow in our knowledge of it. Uh, Spurgeon illustrated it this way. He said, when food is eaten, the next thing is to digest. Then so, when the word is received into the soul, the first prayer is, Lord, teach me its meaning. See, to keep your way from sin, you need to digest God's word. And the way to do that is to study it, to, to know it, to know who it's speaking of. You see this note repeated throughout Psalm 119. And again, I won't read it all. Look at verse 66. Teach me your good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Verse 125, I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. See, we ought to desire to study God's Word, to dig deep into it. Now, with that said, it's true to say that just because you know theology or even know your Bible, it doesn't mean that you won't stumble into sin. We know that people with excellent theology fall into sin. But it's also true to say that you will definitely not overcome sin if you do not have sound theology, if you do not know your Bible. Why do you think Jesus prays in John 17, verse 17, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. That's the means that God has given to sanctify us. See, studying the word in order to know the truth is essential to keeping us from error and from sin. Even as a motivation to study the word, remember Isaiah 26 verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. I realize a staid mind it speaks of a, a disposition set upon God to learn from God, to know Him, to grow in the knowledge of God. And such a life is given to the study of God. And Isaiah promises such a life enjoys and knows God's peace. The, the problem, perhaps, of what we often have is that we fail to know this peace because we do not know this God. And we do not know His Word. But perhaps some of you know much about sports and movies and, and politics and their hobbies and business, yet they know very little of God and the God revealed in the Scriptures. Do your friends realize to not study God's Word is to despise the God who speaks? To not study His Word is to deny the blessings to be found in seeking this God. Uh, look again at the motive for studying God's Word. Verse 12, blessed are you, O Lord. And because you are blessed, the psalmist says, teach me your statutes. See, the psalmist wants to know God and study His Word because God is the fountain of blessing and joy and satisfaction. William, William Cooper was right when he said he is 
a blessed God, the fountain of all felicity without whom no welfare or happiness can belong to the creature. And all of this teaches us, doesn't it, that the way to keep yourself from sin is to keep God as your greatest delight, your greatest happiness. More of that, more of that in a moment. So far we've seen that to keep our way pure is by seeking God's Word, by storing up God's Word, by studying God's Word. Fourthly, we need to see that we need to speak the Word. Uh, look at verse 13. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. Uh, see, to declare God's Word, uh, I think, can be seen in a variety of ways. Firstly, we, we declare God's Word when we preach it to ourselves. And that's the idea of verse 15. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. That word for meditate speaks of, of speaking to yourself. Uh, one commentator says, it is the act of putting emotional and motivated speech forward. It's this idea of musing to yourself, encouraging yourself, meditating on the Word. And to realize one way we overcome temptation and sin is by bringing to mind all that God has said. His promises, His warnings, even preaching the gospel to ourselves. I firmly believe that one of the ways we are led out of temptation is when we declare again and remind ourselves of all that God has said. His promises, His character. But we also declare God's word when we pray it back to Him. Guess what happens when you do this? Guess what happens when you pray God's word back to Him? You pray according to His will. And guess what happens when you pray according to His will? He answers those prayers. And so keep your way from sin. We keep our way from sin when we keep our focus on God's word and pray it back to Him. And so we would do well, therefore, to, to go to God, to seek His face in prayer and pray His word back to Him. You can pray something like 1 Corinthians 10, 13 to God. When you face that temptation, you remind and pray to God. You say, Almighty God, you have said that you are faithful. You have said that you are able to lead us out of temptation. You, you will provide an escape. And you pray because of your word, Lord, help me. I see, we need to pray God's word back to him. But thirdly, we, we declare God's word when we proclaim it to others. Uh, one author has said this way, when we make the scriptures the subject of our conversation, we glorify God, we edify our neighbors, and we improve ourselves. You see, if God's word is sought and stored up and studied, it inevitably ends up on our lips. And guess what? When the Word of God is the subject of our lips and our words, it often becomes the object of delight in our hearts. I can't tell you how often I've, I've visited with people and shared the Word, and I've come out of that more encouraged, more built up. Why? Because again and again, God's Word proves true. It convicts, it challenges, it encourages and as you declare God's word to yourself, to God, to others, you grow in the understanding of it 
and of the God it points to. And so, to keep your way pure, to steer away from sin, speak God's word, let it be in your heart and on your lips. Uh, we finally come to the last way in which we keep away from sin, which is perhaps the most important of all. And not only must we study or seek, store, study and speak God's word, but ultimately we must savor it. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean that God's word must be our delight. Look at verse 14 to 16. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Now, now look at what the result is of this delight. Look at the devotion that flows out of this delight. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts. I will fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Isn't it interesting? When we started, we saw that the psalmist really sets himself to seek God, which has to do with his will. And now at the end of these verses, the psalmist talks of his delight, his, his affections. Why is that? Well, because our affections influence our will. Isn't that what we see in the psalmist? His delight shapes his devotion. His affections move his will. And what is true of him is true of us. Whatever has our affections, Owen said, has us. That's why at the end of the day, when it comes to our fight against sin, when it comes to keeping your way pure, what matters ultimately is the object of your delight. What matters is who and what has your affections. Let's be honest. The reason we fail and fall into sin is because, quite frankly, we still enjoy our sin. And what we learn here is that to keep our ways pure, we need to delight in and savor God's Word. Notice how he ends verse 16. The psalmist says, I'll delight in your statutes. I will not forget your Word. Uh, we know we don't forget things we delight in. Uh, the Puritan Thomas Manton said this way, Delight prevents forgetfulness. The mind will run upon that which the heart delights in. See, if we would but delight in God and the God who is revealed in His Scripture, then our appetite for sin would dissipate. In fact, we'd run away from it and run to God in His Word. So see, the way to overcome sin and keep your way pure is to delight in and savor the Word of God. Uh, to, to do that, remember how precious God's Word is. It, it is something to pursue and delight in. Uh, Psalm 19 verse 10 reminds us that's more desired more to be desired than fine gold, than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Why is it so desirable? Not just because it's the Word of God, but because it revives the soul, it makes wise the simple, it rejoices the heart, it is righteous altogether. See, to live a life that is good 
and holy and joyful is to live a life that savors and delights in God's Word. In fact, the driving motive for all of this, the driving motive to seek and, and study and store and speak God's Word ought to be an unyielding and undeniable delight in God's Word. See, this is how we keep our way pure. This is how you guard your life according to God's Word. You seek God's Word with priority and purpose. You, you store it in your heart through meditation and memorization. You study it in order to know God, to know His mind, to enjoy His peace. You speak it to yourself, to, to others, to Him. And you savor it as delightful, as a, a sweet treasure. See, so you cannot keep your way pure without being serious about God's Word. Now, having said all of this, may I suggest to you that there is, however, something else that is needed. It's not enough to know what means of grace God has given, like prayer and the Scriptures and church and fellowship. It's not enough to know what they are. It's vitally essential that you know how to approach those means of grace. Why? Because it's easy for us to take the right means and use them in the wrong way. Remember, just for a moment, our friends, the Pharisees, perhaps no one else has done all of this and taken Scripture more seriously than they. They sought the Scriptures out with great religious zeal. They stored up God's Word, memorizing it, even large chunks of it. They studied the Word even to the minute detail. They spoke and taught of it throughout Israel. And for all intents and purposes, they savored it. They, they delighted in it. Yet despite all their devotion to the Word, we know that they were still dead in their sins. Do you remember how Jesus rebuked them in Matthew 23? He, he called them hypocrites, whitewashed tombs, outwardly beautiful and, and righteous, yet inwardly dead bones and unrighteous. And my point is this, dear beloved, the Scriptures are absolutely essential, yes, but to overcome sin and to keep your way pure, we need to come with or to God's Word with something else. What is that something else? Firstly, we need to come recognizing our sin. See, the very fact that this psalmist is concerned for his purity, the very fact that he's concerned about sinning against God, tells us that he recognizes his need. In contrast to the Pharisees who failed to see their sin, he approached the Word with humility. And for us to come to the Scriptures, for us to take up and read and study and store and speak it and savor it, we need to come humbly to them. For us to be changed by them, we need to know that we failed. We need to come recognizing that we have sinned against the God they reveal. And so the question, similar to this morning, is have you seen your sin? Do you recognize your need? Does your sin bother you? Are you wrestling against it or are you at home in it? 
Without this recognition of your sin, the Scriptures will only boost your pride in your self-righteousness. But secondly, we need to rest in the Son. Perhaps the greatest problem of the Pharisees is that they fail to see that the Scriptures point us to and prepare us for the Son of God. They fail to, to see that the inscripturated Word points to the incarnate Word. Uh, look at what Jesus says in John 5, 39-40. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. See, if you come to the Scriptures without also coming to the one they point to, you won't really find the gift that they offer. You don't find the life that is to be enjoyed in them. See, Martin Luther was right. Remove, remove Christ from the Scriptures and there's nothing left. And the point is this, if you long to see your life free from sin, then you need to come to the Scriptures with faith in the Son of God. Why the Son of God? Why Jesus? Because He's the only Savior of sinners. He alone has, has overcome sin at Calvary. He alone has, has taken your place and mine to pay for our sin. He alone has paid the penalty, which is death for our sin. He alone has purchased our full, final salvation, and therefore He alone is able to overthrow the reign and power of sin in your life. See, a life kept pure from sin is a life lived in the Son, a life lived by faith in the Son. Spurgeon again said this, faith in the Son is the surest of all sin killers. And so as you come to the Scriptures, as you set your will to read it as of a first priority, come to the Scriptures seeking Christ. Seek Him as that pearl of great price in the Scriptures. Store up truths about Him. Fill your heart and your mind with His beauties. Study His person and His work. Be reinvigorated with truth about Him. Speak of Him. Speak the gospel, preach it, pray in His name, share the gospel. And above all, as you come to the Scriptures, savor the one they pointed to, to delight in Jesus as that one who is altogether lovely. So, see, here is the key to a pure life that is free from sin. The way to overcome delight in sin is to drown it out with greater delight in the Son of God. And so we need to come to the Scriptures resting in the Son of God. Thirdly and quickly, we need to rely upon the Spirit, as Clinton shared this morning. See, you see the Pharisees failed to see their need, and, and they failed to see Christ, and the result was they depended upon themselves. They became self-righteous. And we must recognize, however, that we in ourselves cannot do all of this. We can't do it in our own Strength. If you leave it tonight thinking that you now have to seek and store and study and speak and savor all in your own strength, the Scriptures will fail you. Now, we need the Spirit of God. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit, and we must yield it with His help. 
Why do you think Paul prays, Ephesians 3.16, that, that we would be strengthened with power through the Spirit in our inner being? Do you want a life free from sin? Do you, do you want a life knowing the joy of intimacy and holiness with God? Rely upon the Spirit. Romans 8.6, For to set the mind of the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life. To rely upon Him, to set your desires upon Him, to look to Him for strength and enablement brings peace as you approach the Word. And so to bring all of this to a point, this is how we keep our way pure. We need to seek, store, study, speak, savor the Word as we recognize our sin, as we rest in the Son, and as we rely upon the Spirit. For the believer here tonight, there's two dangers you need to avoid. The first is this neglecting the Spirit or neglecting the Scriptures. You cannot wander away from the Scriptures and think that God is still this intimate friend. No, He's known in His Word. So therefore, do not neglect His Word. But also do not neglect His Son and His Spirit. For the unbeliever here tonight, my plea with you is this. Take up and read. Do you want to know the God who has made you? Do you want to know the God who, who wants to, to, to save you and, and reconcile you to himself? Do you want to know that God who speaks? Well, then look into his word. Look into his word that you would see your sin, that you have failed him. You've broken his commandments. Look to his words so that you would come to see uh, your need of a Savior, his Son, and come that you would be convicted and converted by his Spirit. See, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever here tonight, we need to know this, that our lives depend on knowing the Word, knowing the inscripturated Word and the one to whom it points, the incarnate Word. And so would we take up and read? Would we put sin to death by storing God's Word in our hearts so that we would know our God and enjoy Him? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you have saved us despite our sin. You have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. And you've not just left us there, but you've given us your word to guide us. Your word says your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths. So that we would know what is right, so that we would avoid that which is wrong. That we would enjoy you. Yet, dear Lord, we confess that so many times we've neglected your word. We've, we've instead walked down the path of darkness. We've instead looked to our own ideas and our own comforts. We pray that you forgive us. We pray that you'd help us to again see the saving light of your Son, that he has called us out of darkness, that he has taken that sin, he's paid for it at the cross that He's reconciled us. 
and that through your Spirit you've given us your Word to walk in ways that are pleasing in your sight. We thank you, dear Lord, that the law points us to our sin and points us to your Son, the Savior. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you point us back to the law so that we would walk in your ways, that we would be pleasing in your sight. And so we pray even this evening that you would help us to take up and read, as I've said, that we would once again set your word as a priority in our lives, not just as a religious ritual, not just a tick box, but to know that in your word we see you, we hear of you, we know you. We get to enjoy you. And so would you not cause this conviction in our hearts, would you not lead our hands to obey you, to walk in your ways. We pray this all for your glory in our lives, in Jesus' name. Amen.